Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, before we get into it, I do have two announcements about upcoming events for the launch of my new book, Friday Barnes 11. I can't remember what it's called. Friday Barnes 11, Last Chance. It's the one set in Paris. It's super cool. It involves all the Mona Lisa and everything. Anyway, so that's coming out at the beginning of February. But the official book launch is taking place in Melbourne on the 28th of January, 2023. Uh, there's two shows. The first one is sold out, but I have put a second show on sale at 3 p.m. on the 28th of January, uh, and there are tickets now available. So if you go to eventbrite.com, uh, you'll be able to get tickets if you're interested. And if you're in Sydney the following weekend, I'm going to be doing an event at the book sh- this bookshop in Newtown, which is called the Better Red Than Dead Bookstore. Um So I know it's a strange name for a store, but anyway, it's called Better Red Than Dead and it's in Newtown. And if you go to their website, um, you can book tickets to that event on the 4th of January. Um, I'll try and put links in the show notes. I'll try and be clever and use technology and get that right. Okay. So that's all for the announcements. Um, I'll be coming to other places later in the year for, I've got three books coming out this year. So if I don't get to you for this one, hopefully I will get to a city near you later in the year. All right. Now let's get into today's episode. Today, I'm going to be telling you the true history of Marie Curie as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins vibrated with righteous fury as she strode towards the headmaster's office. She actually quite enjoyed confronting the headmaster, but the thing she enjoyed most about it was the drama. And there would be no drama if she didn't get good and cross about the injustice of it all first. The headmaster's assistant had rung and told her one of the children was going to be suspended. Nanny Piggins did not stay on the line long enough to find out which one. She knew her children were as capable of mischief and mayhem as just about any other child, but she also knew they were not the type of children to do anything suspension-worthy. They just didn't have it in them. If one of them was being suspended, an injustice was taking place, and she would not allow that to happen. So she put an extra dense chocolate mud cake in her handbag, just in case she needed to hit the headmaster over the head with it, and went down to the school. What is the meaning of this then? demanded Nanny Piggins as she kicked in the headmaster's door. Nanny Piggins, remonstrated the headmaster. How many times must I ask you, please do not kick in my door. It's always unlocked. There's no need. Door handles are unhygienic, said Nanny Piggins. I only do it out of concern for public safety. What is this outrageous slander I hear about you suspending one of my boys? The headmaster looked confused. What? he asked. Um, it's not one of the boys, said Samantha. Nanny Piggins spun round to see Samantha sitting quietly on a chair in the corner. You, said Nanny Piggins. 
Now you have to understand, Samantha was generally speaking the quietest, shyest, most timid, best behaved child Nanny Piggins had ever met. The notion of her doing anything suspension worthy was brain boggling. What did you do? She struck another student, said the headmaster. Really, said Nanny Piggins. What did they do? There is no excuse for violence, said the headmaster. Hmm, said Nanny Piggins. You've clearly never met my brother, Bramwell. She turned back to Samantha. Now tell me what happened. Well, Barry Nichols said something that made me angry, said Samantha. What did he say? asked Nanny Piggins. Well, I had a science test after lunch, said Samantha, so I was studying my notes. Barry saw me doing it, and he said I shouldn't bother because girls were bad at science. But that statement is so utterly inaccurate, it's stupid, said Danny Piggins. That's what I thought, said Samantha, but I was so angry I couldn't think of clever words like that, so I just said, that's not true. What about Marie Curie? And he said, Marie who? I've never heard of her. And I knew she'd won the Nobel Prize and done all sorts of amazing things in science, but I was so upset I couldn't think how to say all that in words, so instead I just picked up the nearest thing and threw it at Barry's face. What did you throw? asked Nanny Piggins. A slice of cake, said Samantha. Samantha Green! exclaimed Nanny Piggins. How dare you! The boy may be an ignoramus, but that is no excuse to damage a slice of cake. Was it the red velvet cake I packed in your lunchbox? What a waste! Oh no, I ate that, said Samantha. You've always taught us that the most important thing to do when you're preparing for an exam is the carb loading. And the sugar loading, said Nanny Piggins. Never forget the sugar loading. Sugar is vital for brain function. And if it doesn't make your brain function better, it will at least cheer you up when you do terribly in the exam. Yes, but I was sitting next to Margaret Wallace, explained Samantha, and she had a slice of cake in her lunchbox, and that's what I threw. Margaret Wallace, said Nanny Piggins, but Nanny Anne is her nanny. Now you have to understand, Nanny Anne was Nanny Piggins' nemesis. Nanny Piggins had many nemesises, cake-baking nemesises, cannon-blasting nemesises, rodeo-riding nemesises, ninja-star-throwing nemesises, and many more. But Nanny Anne was Nanny Piggins' nannying nemesis. She was a nanny so perfectly perfect, it was nauseating. Yes, said Samantha. I didn't think it would hurt him, but I didn't realise what sort of cake it was. (gasps) Not, Nanny Piggins gasped in horror, not carrot cake. Samantha nodded. That poor boy, said Nanny Piggins. It had chunks of carrots so big, it's lucky he didn't lose an eye, said the headmaster. Well, then why isn't Nanny Anne being suspended, demanded Nanny Piggins. She's the one sending her children to school carrying dangerous weapons. Carrot cake is a perfectly healthy, nutritious snack, argued the headmaster. If it can give a boy a black eye, just think what it would have done to poor Margaret's bowels, declared Nanny Piggins. Samantha probably saved her life. Right, that's it. I'm taking you home. But I'm sending her home, said the headmaster, realising he was rapidly losing control of the situation. Although really, he hadn't been in control since the moment Nanny Piggins had set Trotter in his office. You are not, said Nanny Piggins. I won't allow it. You have failed to protect Samantha from uncouth comments and vegetable-infused dessert. And to make matters worse, you have failed to teach her the story of Marie Curie, the greatest female pig scientist the world has ever known. 
Marie Curie wasn't a pig, protested the headmaster. Ha! said Nanny Piggins. You're just making matters worse by revealing the depths of your ignorance. I, Nanny Piggins, am suspended Samantha, Michael and Derek from this institution until you can rectify the situation, declared Nanny Piggins. Father won't like that, said Samantha. Oh, yes, you're probably right, said Nanny Piggins. What day of the week is it? Tuesday, said Samantha. Is the ice cream shop open on Tuesday, asked Nanny Piggins. Oh, yes, said Samantha. All right, I am suspending the children for the rest of this day as punishment, declared Nanny Piggins. But the boys didn't do anything, said the headmaster. I'm not punishing them, said Nanny Piggins. I'm punishing you. Come along, Samantha. You're just going to take them to the ice cream shop for the rest of the day, aren't you? Accused the headmaster. Yes, I am, said Nanny Piggins proudly. We shall read the list of flavours and add up the spare change from the back of the sofa to make our purchases. So it will be a lesson in literacy and numeracy and therefore much more educational than what's been going on in this school. Good day. And that is how Nanny Piggins, Boris and the Green Children came to be sitting in the ice cream parlour at 2pm on a school day. Boris has hurried down to join them when Nanny Piggins had rung and told him what was going on. Also, she told him that the ice cream shop was serving honeycomb ice cream again. After several triple scoop cones each, Nanny Piggins felt that Samantha had recovered enough for her to learn the real story of Marie Curie, and so she began. The amazing thing about Marie Curie, said Nanny Piggins, was not just the brilliant things she discovered or how she changed the world. It was that she had to overcome so much prejudice to do it. Sexism, asked Derek. And pigism, said Nanny Piggins. Scientists have always been small-minded people, which is ironic, really, because they have great big thoughts when it comes to science, but in day-to-day real life, they're as simple-minded as cavemen. Actually, that's not fair, because cavemen painted rock art, so they were creative cultural souls. No scientists are as simple-minded as the rock cavemen painted on. Wow, that's a big call, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. I'm sorry, said Nanny Piggins. I know it sounds dreadfully judgmental and perhaps a bit cruel, but the subject of Marie Curie's mistreatment is a sensitive subject for me because she was... A dear relative, guessed Michael. Why, yes, said Nanny Piggins. How did you know? Well, she was fabulously talented and brilliant, said Michael, so I just had a wild guess. Yes, said Nanny Piggins. She was also mysteriously attractive to men. Brilliance and extreme attractiveness is a burden we Pigginses have endured throughout countless generations. My poor Cleopatra Piggins barely had time to run Egypt. She was so busy being loved by world leaders. You're confusing me, Sarah, said Boris. Could you please start at the beginning? Yes, of course, my dear, said Nanny Piggins. I apologise. I don't know what came over me. Postmodernist deconstructed story structure makes me quite angry myself. Boris hugged his sister and she began her tale. It all started in 1867, when a little baby called Maria Sklodowska Piggins was born, began Nanny Piggins. I thought she was called Marie Curie, said Michael. That was her married name, said Nanny Piggins. She wasn't born married, although with a surname that hard to spell and pronounce, I'm sure she started planning to get married as soon as her kindergarten teacher made her try to write it out. Now, Poland is an absolutely marvellous country, said Nanny Piggins. It has beautiful countryside, delicious food and wonderful people. But the problem with Poland is it has dreadful neighbours. 
Austria, Germany and Russia throughout history have always been rushing back and forth across Poland, conquering it. Wars, wars, wars throughout their history. And the actual Polish people rarely won any of them. As a result, it was not the happiest or most affluent of countries. In fact, in 1867, the part of Poland where Marie lived was actually controlled by Russia. And the Russian government didn't like it for Polish people to be too Polish, which was a problem because they were Polish. So this created a lot of tension. The Russians also weren't big on women or anyone interested in Polish nationalist politics getting tertiary educations either. But the Polish people were determined to learn, so they set up a flying university. Where they taught people how to fly, asked Michael, out of cannons, just like you. No, although that would have been a tremendously good idea, said Nanny Piggins. Imagine a university that taught its students cannon blasting skills. That would be so much more useful than an arts degree. But that's not what the Flying University did. It was a secret university where students and teachers met in secret locations at secret times so Polish students could keep learning during the Russian occupation. Marie was one of their students and she learned a lot through this flying university. But if she was going to become a scientist, she really needed to get a proper degree from a non-secret university. So it made sense for her to seek out an education in another country. And at that time, the finest university in Europe for science was the Sorbonne in Paris. Now, Marie also had a very smart sister called Bronislawa, and the two sisters made a deal, said Nanny Piggins. Marie would work for three years as a nanny to pay for her sister to leave Poland and go to university where she could study medicine. Then, when her sister graduated, she would work to pay for Marie to go to university. And that's what she did, asked Michael? Yes, said Nanny Piggins. So the greatest woman scientist of all time worked for three years as a nanny, exclaimed Derek. You know, you don't need to qualify that statement with the word woman, said Nanny Piggins. Marie Curie was the greatest scientist of her age. In fact, a lot of other ages as well. There was no one else alive at the time who was as brilliant as her. Except, I guess, for Albert Einstein. But what did Einstein come up with? A bunch of ideas and equations. Tremendously boring stuff. Whereas Marie actually discovered things like radiation, which made actual things like X-ray machines and nuclear bombs which admittedly didn't work out so well, but you get my point. Still, it's amazing to think that such a brilliant scientist had to work for three years taking care of children, said Derek. I don't know why that shocks you, said Nanny Piggins. I take care of children and I am brilliant. This may seem immodest, but Nanny Piggins was only telling the truth. Some would say that taking care of children is the most important job of all, said Nanny Piggins. Certainly more important than what politicians get up to. They just get together, wear fancy suits and yell at each other. Any nincompoop can do that. Raising a child is a very challenging task. The amount of cake that needs to be baked alone is a workload an ordinary person struggles to handle. Anyway, Marie spent three years working as a nanny, and after that time she got her chance to go to a proper, non-flying university. As you can imagine, she'd been really looking forward to it. She had so many ideas and ambitions, she couldn't wait to get started. But she was a bit taken aback when she got there to discover that everyone in France spoke French. Well, surely she realised that before she got there, said Samantha. Well, I think she knew on some level, said Nanny Piggins. She would have known a lot of French because all educated young ladies in those days did. But I think when you actually get to France and hear French people speaking French, it's always a bit of a shock. 
French spoken by French people doesn't sound the way it looks written down. They seem to swallow all their consonants as if they were chocolate-covered. Anyway, Marie had to give herself a crash course in French before she could follow what was going on in her science lectures. And when she could figure out what they were saying, she soon came to realise they were all talking a lot about how they didn't want a woman to be there. And there was only one woman there, so they were clearly talking about her. So even after Marie earned two degrees in two years while studying in her second language and had some crackingly good ideas she wanted to research, no one at the Sorbonne University would give her a lab. Now, around this time, a man called Pierre Curie fell desperately in love with her. As you know, this is a burden we Pigginses all suffer with, men constantly falling in love with us. But this Pierre was a good man. He was actually a respected scientist himself. And because he was a man, other men would listen to him. So he persuaded a friend to let Marie use an old shed for her research. And in that shed, she made her first breakthroughs. My teacher told us that Marie Curie was so practical that when she got married, she bought herself a navy blue wedding dress, said Samantha, so she could wear it in the lab when she was working. Yes, I've heard that story too, said Nanny Piggins. But you must remember that she was a Piggins, so it could also be that the reverse was true, that she had a wedding dress so fabulous and flattering that she decided to wear it to work every day so she could look impossibly glamorous while revolutionising the world of science. Anyway, Marie was interested in the energy that was emitted from some minerals, said Nanny Piggins. She described these minerals as having rays, just like the sun's rays. And that's how she came up with the word radioactive and radioactivity, so she could describe what she was observing. Pierre abandoned his own work in crystals to help her research, and together they discovered a new element that had these radioactive properties, and Marie named it polonium after her home country, Poland. Later, she discovered radium, which again she named, this time after the word ray and radioactivity. And these radioactive materials soon proved to be very useful. Marie observed that they could be used to treat cancer, and it was soon discovered that they could also be used to make x-rays, which I know has been invaluable to me personally. The number of times doctors have tried to convince me that I must have broken a bone just because I landed really hard after being fired out of a cannon, only for me to prove them wrong when the x-ray results came back, because it's very hard to break a bone when you eat as much chocolate as I do, because the calcium levels in my diet are off the charts. Anyway, this was all so astonishing that in 1903, the Nobel Prize Committee had to give Marie's work the Nobel Prize for Physics. The Nobel Prize Committee tried to give it to just Pierre and another one of their male colleagues. What rotter, said Boris. But eventually someone pointed out that they would be big meanie pants and very unscientific if they did that. So they let Marie share it with her husband and their colleague. And so Marie Curie became the first woman to win a Nobel Prize. Now then, I'm afraid there's a sad turn in the story. Brace yourself for this bit, Boris. You may need a box of tissues and some recuperative honeycomb ice cream. In 1906, Pierre, her husband, was hit by a horse-drawn cart and died. Oh, that's terrible, wailed Boris. Quick, Derek, urged Nanny Piggins. You better get Boris another ice cream. A triple scoop, asked Derek. No, said Nanny Piggins. You better just lift the whole tub out of the freezer and let Boris stick his head in it. That'll help him process his emotions while I tell the rest of the story. After Derek had done just that, Nanny Piggins continued. Marie was obviously devastated. Pierre had been a lovely husband and they had two lovely daughters. But then she had another brilliant idea. 
About science, asked Michael. No, about childcare, said Nanny Piggins. She got her father-in-law to mind the girls while she went back to work being a scientific genius. And five years later, the Nobel Prize Committee realised they really had to give her another Nobel Prize, this time for chemistry, for discovering two new elements on the periodic table. And this time, there was no doubt they really did have to give it to her. Hooray, said Samantha. Except this time, the Nobel Prize Committee wrote to her and said they didn't want her to attend the ceremony, said Nanny Piggins. Because they didn't want to share the cake, guessed Boris. No, this time they were horrified because by now, Marie had a boyfriend. So they asked her not to come to the award ceremony and accept the award in person because they thought she was disgraceful. They thought it was disgraceful that she had a boyfriend, asked Michael. But her husband had been dead for five years. Well, the problem wasn't so much the boyfriend, said Nanny Piggins, but the fact that the boyfriend was married to someone else. Oh, said Michael, yes. I'm afraid messy hair was not Marie's only character flaw. But there was no denying she was a brilliant scientist. So Marie said, piffle to that, or pif la as they say in French, and went anyway, although she didn't comb her hair, which is the only thing the Piggins family is a little ashamed of her about. But Marie didn't really care what anyone thought of her. Then, when World War I broke out, Marie realised that x-rays would be enormously helpful to surgeons operated on wounded soldiers. So she got together dozens of vans and made portable radiography machines and trained women in how to use them. Then she and her daughter, as well as all these other women, travelled around the front line giving soldiers x-rays. Imagine how that would have been for the soldiers. One minute you're lying in a hospital bed feeling sorry for yourself because you got a bullet in your leg. The next minute, a double Nobel laureate and her daughter, who incidentally went on to win another Nobel Prize for herself in 1935, they just turn up in a van and say they're going to use radiation to look inside your leg so they can tell the surgeon where the bullet is. They must have been like superheroes with terribly messy hair, but if you're a brilliant genius, you're allowed to have one flaw. Eventually, after a long, full life, Marie died of cancer at the age of 66, which doctors believe she most likely contracted because of all the x-rays she'd been giving during the First World War. You see, in those days, people didn't realise how dangerous radiation could be. She probably should have been wearing a lead-lined wedding dress to work every day. Oh, gosh, that's sad, said Samantha. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins, but she had had an astonishingly brilliant life that changed the world, so we shouldn't feel too bad. But didn't the isolation of radioactive materials lead to the development of nuclear weapons, asked Eric? That's bad. Yes, that is really, really bad, agreed Nanny Piggins. I don't understand humans at all. Why you'd want to take an energy source and use it to make weapons when you could be using it to bake a cake is beyond me. If the leaders of the world would just drop cake on their enemies, I'm convinced there would be less war. And if a cake hits your house, it does way less damage than a bomb, agreed Boris. Exactly. And so that is the story of my cousin, Marie Curie Piggins, brilliant scientist and terrible hairstylist. The end. Time for bed. Nanny Piggins was sitting in an ice cream shop. Oh, okay. The end. Time for another ice cream. All right. Well, that's the end of the story. I hope you enjoyed it. That's it for now. Until next time, goodbye.